Hi, it's Matt. Just before we start the show, I want to tell you about a great live event I've got coming up on the 27th of March. To celebrate 600 episodes of Recruiting Future, I'm going to be hosting a live Ask Me Anything webinar. This is your chance to pick my brain on anything you like, including market trends and predictions, the impact of AI on recruiting, skills-based hiring, the changing role of recruiters, podcasting tips, or even my favourite Scottish tourist destinations and whiskies. Literally, ask me anything. I'll also be joined by some surprise special guests who'll be adding their perspectives to the conversation. You can sign up now by going to mattalder.me slash AMA. That's mattalder.me slash AMA. And I really look forward to seeing you there. That web address one last time. mattalder.me slash AMA. Support for this podcast comes from Averture ATS, an applicant tracking system that redefines user experience for candidates, recruiters and hiring managers. Just listen to one of the many ways in which L'Oreal USA has improved their hiring process with Averture, as told by Edward Dias, Director of Recruitment Intelligence and Innovation. Since we've been using Averture ATS globally, we have been able to massively improve our communication rate with candidates during and following their application. Uh, Before over a million people worldwide would never get contacted. Um, But with this smart automization and flexible processes, we've been able to change that. And that's been a huge achievement. Visit avature.net, that's A-V-A-T-U-R-E dot net, to learn why global market leaders like L'Oreal choose Avature to extend the candidate experience from shoulder tap to first day. There's been more of scientific discovery, more of technical advancement and material progress in your lifetime and mine than in all the ages of history. Hi everyone, this is Matt Alder. Welcome to episode 157 of the Recruiting Future podcast. Most employers around the globe are currently experiencing some kind of skill shortage in at least certain aspects of their hiring. The competition for talent is fierce, and we're seeing increasing investment in employer branding and recruitment marketing as a result. However, hiding in plain sight, there's an untapped talent pool of people attempting to return to the workforce after a career break. People who are being overlooked because of inflexible recruitment practices, automation, and both unconscious and conscious bias. My guest this week is Domini Moss, founder of The Return Hub, a company that places senior professionals who want to restart their careers back into the workforce. Keep listening to hear her insights into how employers can best access these pools of incredible talent. Hi, Dominique, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, Matt. 
Great to have you on the show. Um, could you just quickly introduce yourself and tell everyone what you do? Yeah, well, thank you very much for having me. Um, I am the founder of a unique recruitment company. Um, essentially, we work with individuals who have very often taken a career break. Um, they've left their corporate role. Um, sometimes they've left that to go and fulfill caring responsibilities. Other times it might be to launch an entrepreneurial business or to undertake further study or to travel or to perhaps do work in the charity sector. Um, but they're now ready to relaunch their career and um, we work with those individuals. They do tend to be mainly women. Um, we do work with some fantastic men as well, but our, the majority of our candidate pool is, is female. And we uh, place them into organizations that are looking to tap into a talent pool that they wouldn't otherwise have access to in a strategic way and um, place those individuals uh, into you know, either the role they were doing before or sometimes we help them with a career transition piece and and. and place them into slightly different roles fantastic um lots of things i want to um ask you about that because i know it's uh, um it's a subject that will be really interesting to um to to the to the podcast audience before i do though could you tell us a little bit about your story and how you came to uh be doing what you're doing yeah sure well my background is I, i've worked in the city in financial services for um nearly 20 years most of that time has been an executive search so i worked for one of the big financial services search firms for 13 years and um, really, during that time, um, asked, asked many, many times by my clients, how can you help us reach more female candidates? We want to see more balanced shortlists. And really sort of found it very difficult to come up with a, a, a sort of a unique or a meaningful answer to that question beyond there just aren't many out there. Um, and then uh, about nearly three years ago now, I had a meeting with a, a fantastic uh, woman at one of the investment banks who was very involved with their return to work program. And she told me about this returnship that they that they ran, which was this sort of three-month program. Uh, it was the low-risk structure that they needed to really bring someone in who had a, a career gap, um, gave them an opportunity to see how these people would perform in a real business situation, um, hopefully then move them into a real role. Um, but if not, they would be getting some CV-worthy experience that they could then uh, take with them. Um, and I thought this concept was a very interesting one. And uh, when uh, she told me that they had, I think at that time, it was about 400 applications for a class size of about 20, I nearly fell off my chair. And I, I couldn't believe that there were these huge numbers of people, mainly women, who were looking to relaunch their corporate careers. Um, and so I thought, well, who's helping the 380 that aren't getting on this program? And that there must be lots of employers who would love to do the same thing, but just didn't have the resources or the know-how of a big investment bank. Um, and that was really where the idea for the business came. Um, since then, we've uh, sort of branched out into sort of all sorts of different areas. Um, we uh, We now... Uh, recruit, design, and deliver return to work programs. Um, but actually, probably um, over half of what we actually do now is really uh, putting our candidates uh, back on the radar for business as usual hires to really include them as part of a sort of fair and robust recruitment process. I think one of the um, one of the things uh, for me here is I think that there are probably um, quite a few people out there who've, who've never experienced this sort of you know the CV gap or having to uh, you know leave the workforce for a period of time and then come back again um, who might not understand the kind of barriers that that people in that position are, are facing. Um, could you sort of talk us through what what the issues are for people who are trying to um, you know sort of return to the workforce after um, you know after a gap for whatever reason? Yeah. Well, it's a number of things, really. Um, it's essentially down to the fact that there are very few sort of clear paths for them back through traditional recruiting methods. So 
the recruitment industry at the sort of at the, at the sort of volume end, if you like, is um, you know is very much about square peg, square holes, and those recruiters have a lot of pressure in terms of time to hire, uh, and so um, it's just very difficult for a candidate who perhaps has a non-linear career or has a CV gap to get a look in with those with those type of um, roles. Um, the executive search industry obviously is very good if you're already in a job, uh, but the way that they identify talent is by mapping the kind of in uh, in role or in market uh, candidates. So again, if you're not already in that job at you know ABC employer, you just don't get identified by those methods. Um, and then you have the on the the online job the jobs boards, the online applications where you have uh, an algorithm that basically filters the huge number of applications that online roles can attract into a manageable number by a human person at the other end. And they will, those algorithms or, or, or applicant tracking systems, ATSs as they're called, um, will filter out candidates that um, have a CV gap very often. Um, and certainly those ones that are not, again, that sort of square peg, square hole candidate. Um, so um, so what, what happens is it's just very difficult for these individuals to, to really find a path uh, to, to really just to meet an employer, frankly. Um, and so what tends to happen is they rely on their own network, um, which can be a very effective way for them to get back to work. But it obviously is, uh, you know, it can be somewhat limiting um, and they definitely don't have the same um, sort of breadth of um, opportunities available to them as, as, as someone who's perhaps has a more conventional CV or who's in role. So basically there's lots of inflexibility in the recruitment process for various reasons and I think that um, you know this is something that potentially could get a lot worse because uh, one of the things that we talk about um, on the podcast a lot is uh, recruitment automation um, and uh, algorithms doing more of the work when it comes to, to recruiting. Um, what would your sort of uh, message to employers be about the the kind of talent and the kind of opportunities they're missing out on um, by having these uh, by having this inflexibility in their recruitment process? Yeah, well, it's an it's an excellent point and something which is um, very much on our radar at the Return Hub. We um, feel very strongly that while um, you know technology can be a great thing and um, you know extremely useful in automating some of the decisions or processes uh, that, that that go on through the sort of the recruitment cycle, if you like. Um, but it is really, really important to, for for employers and for recruiters to be to be aware that there are certain kinds of questions in a certain class that are absolutely fine to be automated, but there is a huge number of questions um, that are just simply not able to be done effectively by a machine, uh, by a, you know, by an, by an automated process. And particularly when you're dealing with, uh, you know, experienced hires, so candidates who may have had 10, 15, 20 plus years experience, they have rich and varied uh, skill sets and, uh, um, you know, sort of career histories. And really, there is no substitute um, at this time for a kind of human conscious um, element in the decision making process. And really, the best person to evaluate that candidate is another human being. Um, and there's just no way around that. And so whilst there seems to be more and more of a push to sort of to more towards AI and automation, this is an incredibly dangerous thing from a diversity perspective. I think we saw recently in the news that Amazon, I think it was last week, we saw that Amazon have ditched their AI recruiting tool because it was seen to be screening out uh, female candidates. And you know what we know is that the 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 the, the, the machines the, the the automation is only ever as good as the information that is inputted into it, and when, whilst that comes from a sort of relatively homogeneous data set of what past success looks like, 
you're basically feeding into the machine data which is going to only perpetuate the status quo rather than change it or evolve it. And I think it's really, really important that employers really do understand that because very often what we see is that these tools are being marketed as um, as being without bias. And uh, and I think that's a, a very, um, you know, I think one needs to be very aware of the limitations of uh, automated recruitment processes. So expanding um, a little bit on that on that point, what would um, I, I know that there'll be uh, lots of lots of recruiters listening who um, w- would be very keen to um, engage with these types of audiences um, um, and uh, make sure they're getting the, the best possible talent into their organizations um what would your advice be for um for, for, for recruiters in terms of you know engaging with um the, the the sort of audiences that you work with well i think in the first instance one needs to identify them in a sort of strategic fashion in order to be able to evaluate from this pool who the best person might be so i think you know for, 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 from a starting perspective it is obviously looking at the traditional strategies and thinking what do i need to do differently um I think there's also an assumption, there are lots of myths about returners in particular, um, namely that they're all women, they're all mothers, and they all want to work part-time. Um, you know, what I can tell you is that uh, uh, 73% of our candidates at the moment tick the full-time box when they register with us. So um, so I think it's also about sort of being aware that perhaps some of the myths, some of the um, sort of myths or, 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 or um misconceptions if you like about this this pool and um, some of those need to be need to be put to one side the quality of candidates is extraordinarily high um pwc did a piece of research a couple of years ago that showed there were 427,000 professional women who are currently on a career break who will go back to work and i think um you know these are individuals who've, who've probably got you know as i say sort of maybe 10 15 years experience under their belt and many of whom whilst they've been on a break have actually been updating their skills or acquiring new ones or um, tapping into new networks and gaining in perspective and maturity. And I think it's with that mindset that recruiters need to look at this talent pool and think to themselves, you know, gosh, I bet there's some really great talent in those pools and, and you know, how do we go about finding them? I, I think the other thing to be aware of is is perhaps the career transition piece as well. So I, I mentioned a little bit earlier, but we do, we do find that whilst... Um, you know, lots of the returner candidates that we work with are looking to go back into the role they had before. There are many that actually are thinking, well, I, I you know, I used to do X. I've got all these transferable skills. Uh, you know, what, what could I use those to do next in my career? And, and so I think it's really important for, for recruiters to be really aware of transferable skills and, and thinking sort of you know, literally thinking sort of outside the box when looking at these kind of candidates. So obviously, um, you know, successful hiring is all about, uh, you know, people um, not just being recruited, but coming into the company and, uh, you know, be, being a success and, uh, you know, staying staying with the business for an appropriate um, amount of time. Um, what, what advice would you give to employers in terms of making sure that they are um, giving um, you know, give, give, giving these hires the sort of the best opportunity to, to succeed? So I think obviously when organizations are contemplating putting together a specific return to work program, then one of the key things is the elements of that program. And 
what goes into making that program a success for the employer and for the returner. And there are a couple of things that really do help to kind of tee everyone up for success in that respect. Um, One thing is actually the support that we give to the hiring managers. So how do you give them a toolkit to to manage, assess, onboard someone who is not the kind of square peg, square hole candidate? Um, And that's really everything from, you know, perhaps interview style, interview technique, what can you, can't you say, to understanding what some of the perhaps soft and hard development needs of that individual are when they arrive in the role. Um, and then obviously the other thing is is really providing that support to that individual once they return. And obviously one of the benefits of people coming back as part of a program, as part of a cohort, is that you can facilitate that peer group support for those individuals when they arrive, as well as one-to-one coaching um, should that be required um, sort of over the course of the first perhaps three, four months of, of what sometimes can be, not always, but sometimes can be a bit of an up and down journey back to work. And that's really things like helping that person rebuild confidence, if that is indeed an issue for them, certainly not for everybody, um, building resilience and being aware of their personal brand when they arrive. Um, and really looking at the onboarding process that you would go through with any any other candidate um, and really sort of seeing if it should be enhanced in any way for someone who is perhaps returning to the workforce after a period of time out. So from a from a sort of corporate leadership perspective, I mean, there's obviously lots of lots of talk about the importance of diversity um, and inclusion. Um, but but what should sort of CEOs, boards, senior leadership teams be be doing and, and thinking in this area to to make a real difference? Well, that that is actually that, that's a key question to my mind. So. Where we see organizations really um, delivering on their on their targets and their aspirations to achieve that better gender balance is where the senior leadership team have been much bolder and braver in their decision making. And they have essentially empowered, whether it's the sort of the mid-level hiring manager or the recruiting team to go and do things differently. And inevitably doing things differently does, you know, very often cost more money and it takes more time. And it's really important that I think organizations are, are, are open-eyed to that. Um, you know, very often, I think what we've seen over the last decade is organizations delivering you know, various different initiatives on the topic of diversity to try and move things forward. And whilst they have very often been very well received from an individual basis, the fact of the matter is, is that they haven't really moved the needle. So, so as I say, I think uh, the leaders of these businesses need to really be very aware that that, that that the old strategies are not working, new strategies need to be um, need to be looked at, and as I say, just much much braver and bolder action uh, on behalf of the leaders of our of our of our of our businesses. So, uh, final question: um, in in the sort of the, the 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 sort of years that you've been that you've been sort of working in this in this space, um, is the situation improving? Are are companies changing their thinking? Are there any sort of particular success stories here? I think one. I think there's every reason to be really optimistic. I mean, we worked with we work with enlightened employers every day, um, and we we're speaking all the time to employers who genuinely care passionately about doing things differently and um and and so i think you know whilst whilst the pace of change can sometimes feel very glacial and uh somewhat frustrating you know fortunately there are there is every reason to be optimistic and hopeful and i I think you know they're driven by several things because we know there are now enough studies that show that the benefits of a diverse workforce are you know a 
good for the bottom line, but B, also very um, effective from a corporate governance perspective. And and so I think, you know, with the sort of the sort of hard data around the benefits for, for diversity, we've moved diversity from a sort of, um, you know, a nice to have to a core business priority. And um, I think that together with things like the Women in Finance Charter, with things like the gender pay gap reporting, you know, this is shining a light on really and a really, really important topic. And, you know, it's all helping towards um, getting organizations to A, just be aware of how important this is and B, that they really need to, to, to do something about it. Um, so, so yeah, I think there's every reason to be, uh, to be optimistic. Dominique, thank you very much for talking to me. Thank you, Matt. My thanks to Dominique Moss. You can subscribe to this podcast in Apple Podcasts or via your podcasting app of choice. The show also has its own dedicated app, which you can find by searching for Recruiting Future in your app store. If you're a Spotify user, you can also find the show there. You can find all the past episodes at www.rfpodcast.com. On that site, you can subscribe to the mailing list and find out more about working with me. Thanks very much for listening. I'll be back next week and I hope you'll join me. This is my show. Imagine how fast we could solve the world's biggest problems if more SaaS startups would gain traction sooner. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. This podcast is dedicated to sharing experiences from B2B SaaS CEOs who are going above and beyond to deliver change that is noticed. You will hear their secrets and learn what is required to build a SaaS business that the world starts talking about and keeps talking about and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so.